I want to invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. And I want to talk to us a little while this morning about finding forgiveness. How many of you in here this morning is saved? When you sing that song, Waymaker, Miracle Work, Promise keeper. That's not something we just sing if we have met Jesus. That's something we know that he is a way maker. He is the one who has made a difference. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember when I used to hear about Jesus and I'd go to church and church was a place where you went to hopefully get things right with God. And if you went there and you done what they said before I met Jesus, but you know, when you meet Jesus, church is different. It's kind of like, remember when Jacob had messed up, done his brother wrong, and he had to leave the sanctuary of his father and his mother, and he had to go out running for his life. And he went out into the middle of nowhere, and he laid down that night, and he took a rock, and he went to sleep on it. And he was in a place called Bethel, and he had a holy dream. And he seen a ladder going up to heaven. And when he woke up, Jacob says in the 28th chapter, he says, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Do you remember the first time that God became more than religion, that God became real, that he became something that was actually a personal experience in your life? Because I want us to think about that. Everybody in here who's saved today, we know Jesus in a different context than those who have not been saved and forgiven. I want to talk to us a little while about finding forgiveness Remember what that was like? When all the guilt of your past, all the shame of the things in your life that you wish wasn't so, was removed. And that burden of guilt was taken by the blood of Christ and Jesus came into your life. And all of those worries about, I hope I'm okay, I hope I'm going to go to heaven, was taken away in the security of the assurance that you're in the hands of Jesus came into your life. Because I'm here to tell you today that you got a neighbor lives right next to you that has never experienced that, knows nothing about that. There's people that you go to school with. There's people that you work with. There's people in your own family that have no idea what it means to have an encounter with Jesus and have that life-changing peace that is in our heart this morning. And so I want us to look at something this morning. Jesus has just come on the scene in chapter 1. He's been preaching, he's doing miracles. First thing, he goes to the church, the synagogue in Capernaum. And while he's preaching, there's someone there who's demon-possessed, and he delivers that person. And it says that as Jesus was preaching, they were amazed by his teaching because it was with authority and unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. Then he casts out a demon, and they said, What is this new doctrine, this new teaching that even has authority and power over the unclean spirits? And then from there, he raises, I mean, he cleanses a leper, a man who comes to him. And it says that the crowds began to come to the point that Jesus was having to go and hide. He was having to go and get away from the crowds. He even said, let us go from here and go to the other city so that I may preach because that's the reason I came. But the crowds were coming to him, and they were coming to him for help. And just like some of us, we've got friends today who may be sick, 
friends who may be in a financial problem. They may have relational problems. There's all kinds of problems in their lives. But guys, I'm here today to tell you that the greatest problem every person has is to need to be forgiven of our sins. And there's not a beautiful, more better example of it in the Bible than what we're fixing to read. As you read with me, Jesus has come back to Capernaum. He's probably at Peter's house. That's what most people believe. And after some days of being there, it was heard that he was in the house, verse 1. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and Jesus preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near Jesus because the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose, took up the bed, went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Man, what a church service, amen. We read that, but do you really think about what that must have been like to be there that day? You know, today I want to talk to us this morning about how we can help our friends find God's forgiveness. And I'm here to tell you today, to help our friends find forgiveness, we must bring them to Jesus, who alone has the power to forgive their sins. They're not going to come looking for Jesus. Jesus is out looking for them. But, friends, you weren't able to find Jesus without help, and neither are they. They're lost in their sin. They're dead to the things of God. They have no appetite. They have no understanding like us. They don't know what we know about Jesus. And I want you to think about this this morning. The greatest blessing the church has to offer our friends is Jesus. We forget. We go talk to Him, and I know in our heart because we've been forgiven and we've experienced the awesome grace of God's salvation that we want to tell them about church. And what you'll tell them about church is everything but the most important thing about church. Because if Jesus ain't here, this is a waste of time. If Jesus ain't with us, we all should be going to fish or play golf or whatever cranks your tractor. But you're wasting your time here with all of your religious activity. It'll all end up in vain without the presence of Jesus in the house. And out of all the things we have to offer, we'll go and tell them about the preacher. You ought to come see our pastor. You ought to come talk to our preacher. And certainly we ought to have a preacher that we ought to tell people about. Or you ought to come listen to our music. Man, you ought to hear our band. Or man, you ought to come and listen and and bring your kids to our children's ministry. And we'll brag about all the things. 
But all these things have no power to forgive, much less change a life without Jesus. And friends, it's wonderful to have money, to have facilities, to have servants that are your staff that serve the Lord who have been given God-given abilities that God is using. But friends, I'm here to tell you, the only one that can forgive your lost loved one, the only one that can change your neighbor's life is the one who can tell a paralytic to get up and take his bed and go home. That's the power he has to also say, your sins are forgiven. You'll never find forgiveness outside of Jesus. You see, the greatest thing about this story when you start looking at it is that Jesus was in the house. Look at the first thing it says. And again, Jesus entered Capernaum. He had been to Capernaum. He had already done a bunch of miracles. People had known what he could do. They could hear about it. Some had seen it. Some probably had been at the synagogue when he cast out the demon and the man who was a member of the synagogue. Some had probably known the leper who went and told everybody when he healed him. Some had probably seen some of the other miracles that he'd done because he said he's cast out many demons and he healed many people. So then he leaves and he goes preaching all around Judea, all around Galilee. And so he's come back and it says, as he entered Capernaum after a couple days, after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. Out of all the things people can say about us, if they never say Jesus is down there, the presence of God is there, they'll never ever come to this house they was packing in there because Jesus was there. There's churches everywhere just like us who have all the things money can buy, who have all of the abilities education can give us. We know a lot about God, but if we ain't got God, we'll never ever change one person, not even ourselves. And it says that Jesus, when they heard that he was in the house. Friends, I don't know about you, but out of all the things that I've looked at and I've experienced, nothing is this, makes a difference when Jesus shows up. Nothing is more life-changing than when you experience the presence of Jesus in your life. And if we are saved, we've experienced that life-changing experience. We know what it's like to have our sins forgiven. We know what it's like to be born again and have the Holy Spirit live in us if we are born again. And if we're in a relationship with Jesus to where we're connected to that vine and that vine like a branch is connected to us and the life of Jesus is flowing in and through us and he's manifesting himself in our life. Friends, listen, we ought to have something in us that makes us have everybody else want to have Jesus. And friends, there's some of us in here who have experienced not only the spiritual power of Jesus, but some of us, when he saved us, needed a lot of physical help from Jesus. He's taken away addictions from some of us. He's taken emotional problems that came from broken relational issues that had created forgiveness and the inability to trust people and had let things in your heart that didn't belong there that robbed you from the joy of life to where you couldn't have a real relationship with anybody else. But Jesus came in and delivered you. Some of us have had physical needs for healings to where you were sick, to where you may have had cancer even, to where you may have had a debilitating 
something happened, but Jesus showed up and he delivered you. My friends, as awesome it is to have your cancer cured, as awesome as it is to be set free from the addictions of drugs and alcohol or pornography or whatever it is that the Satan has gripped you with that is robbing your life of anything spiritual, as awesome as it is to be broke and for God to make a supernatural blessing in your life and provide for you and to have all the things that the material world has to offer you, none of that means anything if you've never been forgiven. If you've never met Jesus in a saving capacity, Jesus said it this way, what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so friends, listen, we got a lot of neighbors that we invite because we see problems in their life. Thank God problems do make us come to Jesus. But friends, our greatest problem is not what we see, the dysfunctional families, the broken homes, the unhealthy marriages, the the ungodly relationships that are going on that are creating all of the consequences and circumstances that we see going on around us. The biggest problem is it's obvious a lot of them have never been forgiven. They've never met Jesus. And friends, I don't know about you, these four men that we're fixing to look at, They heard Jesus was back in town. (laughs) They said, he's in the house. Friends, the greatest thing that would ever happen is if Jesus began to save and do things. That's why you got to pray for revival. That's why you need spiritual awakening. There's churches everywhere doing religious stuff like us. But it's only the ones where Jesus has shown up, to where his mighty power and his glory is being manifested, to where lives are being changed, people are being saved. And when people come in there, there's things happen that are undeniably supernatural beyond our ability to do. Because if you don't believe in the supernatural, you don't really believe the Bible. And friends, the supernatural is the natural when I read about Jesus. But friends, I want you to think about this. These four men... They had a friend that they knew needed help. And they heard what Jesus could do. I believe some of them even had seen what Jesus could do. And if Jesus is who we say he is, and all of you say he's king of kings, he's Lord of all, he's the Alpha and Omega, you know all the good stuff to say to look spiritual. He's the God of, Son of God. He's good all the time and all the time's good. He's Jesus. But if he can do what we say he can, The greatest thing our neighbors need is him. Him. But if we really believe the only hope for our neighbors whose homes are so dysfunctional that they're miserable, that their kids don't like one another, their parents don't like one another, they don't even like one another, and it's manifested in all the problems and chaos that comes from having a home without Jesus in it, why don't we do everything we can and could do to get them to Jesus? Because what I love about this story, it shows you a practical example of putting your faith to work. You see, these men right here, if we must must bring our friends to Jesus, that's what we got to do. They're not going to come looking for Jesus because they are blind, the Bible says, in their sin. They're not going to be able to come and find Jesus on their own because they're captives of the evil one the devil. And they're not going to be able to come and find Jesus just easily without help because they're all crippled. They're all spiritual paralytics. They're all bound by the devil. They're all 
weakened by the flesh and they're all crippled, my friend. They're not going to find Jesus by themselves. You say, well, I just don't believe that. You didn't find him without help. Somebody was praying for you. Somebody witnessed to you. Somebody invited you. Somebody come and told you or you never got saved. I think back when me and Diane was going through all our problems. I was a drunkard, an addict. Um, it had ruined our marriage. We had divorced and was separated. And thank God Jerry Lawler said, you need to come with me to church. Then she met somebody else named Dusty McElmore, a preacher. But there was other people, when I look back, that were praying, that were sending cards, that were witnessing. My mama, who never quit telling me, Marvin, you're never going to be happy without Jesus. It's Jesus, my friend, that we have to give them. Give them Jesus, because he's the only one who can change them. These four men is a beautiful example of what the church ought to be like. Because, friends, listen, we must bring our friends to Jesus. I want you to see what it says here. It says in that text, when you look with me, that Jesus was in the house. The same Jesus that had saved people, that was doing these miracles, was doing all these things. Then they came to him. Friends, today when we came to Jesus, I hope you came today to see Jesus, to encounter Jesus, not to hear me, not to hear a sermon, not to hear a song or to watch a praise worship leader. But you came because you want to bring yourself in the presence of God. But friends, listen, they didn't come alone. This is unbelievable. Then they came bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where Jesus was so that they had broken through. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And friends, I want to tell you something. That's a determined group of people, amen? Boy, I'd love to know if I was paralyzed, I had a friend or neighbor like that. And every day, you might not have a neighbor who is physically paralyzed, but I promise you, if you watch them, they're spiritually paralyzed. They're hopelessly stuck, and they can't get anywhere from where they're at. Nothing changes because they don't know how to get to Jesus. And their life is very much like this crippled man. They're hopelessly bound to an existence. That is not a good existence to be. I want you to think about this. Would you ever want to go back to life without Jesus? Would you want to get up in the morning and have no idea of what it means to have Jesus in and over your life? Would you want to live for one week without Jesus' protection and his grace and his purpose in your life and watching over you? But that's how they live every day. They've never met him. They've no know of him. They hear about him maybe, but they don't know what we know. They don't know how he can forgive us. They don't know how he can come into our life and change us. And they surely don't know what it's like to be able to go to bed at night talking to him and wake up in the morning and talking to him. And in between, he's talking to you through his word and through a relationship. But friends, I want you to think about this. When Jesus seen them, when Jesus seen them, these four men, he said an extraordinary thing. Now remember, this man's paralyzed. He's on a blanket or a bed of some type, a pallet. This is with before wheelchairs. They don't have home health. They don't have hospice. They don't have modern medicine. 
I mean, this man's laying there. They don't have social security and disability. They don't have a government to lean on. That man is hopeless, and somehow they know him. He's in their life. He's means enough to them that all four of them were willing to personally take responsibility, pick up his bed, carry him down to the house where Jesus was at so that they could get him to Jesus. They believed something. Can I get an amen? And when Jesus looked at them, the greatest blessing Jesus has to offer our friends is not a blessed financial situation. It's not perfect health. It's not a life free of trouble. The greatest thing he has to offer our friends is the greatest thing he offered me and you. He forgave us. Of all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our transgressions, all of our things that brought condemnation and deserving wrath from God on our life and promised us an eternity in hell, Jesus himself forgave us. I don't know about y'all, but that's the greatest thing he's ever done to me. He gave me Diane. That's pretty good, amen? He delivered me off drugs and alcohol. He, he took me out of a life that didn't have any meaning, any purpose. I hated going to work. I didn't like going to work just to get a check. And he gave me an occupation. He gave me the privilege to be a pastor. He gave me something to do that I enjoy, something that gives you meaning and purpose, friends. That's what God does. But friends, listen, what made that happen? When Jesus looked at these people, when Jesus, I want you to notice this, saw their faith. When Jesus watched us on the way to church this morning, what did he see about us? Did he see someone who's going, hopefully hear a good sermon that's going to make me feel good about myself, that's going to be a spiritual blessing to me? Did he see someone who was going to church to hear music that you like because you like Jonathan and the band and it's your thing and you want to hear some good music in Jesus' name? And did you go because you love the fellowship? Thank God for fellowship. I love all of you. It blesses my heart to see you come Sunday after Sunday to get to go up to you and say hello. But friends, listen, fellowship without Jesus, music without Jesus, good sermons without Jesus, they're nothing but spiritual entertainment at best. And we don't need more spiritual entertainment. We need more of Jesus because we're sinners. We're transgressors. We mess up. If you ain't jacked up, I am. (laughs) And I need Jesus every day. And friends, I want you to see this. But when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, the man who was helpless, the man who couldn't get himself there, the man who was in total need of someone else getting him to Jesus, he looked at him and he said something that freaked him out. He didn't say, bring him over here and I'll, hold him up and I'll put my hand on him and we'll, like TV does, and we'll do a show for you and we'll heal him. And we'll let him get up and jump up and down. And, and he, what did Jesus did? Jesus didn't even mention he was on a pallet. Jesus looked at him and can you imagine what it must have been like and the distraction it must have been? I mean, there's so many people there, the door was blocked, they couldn't get in. So these men were desperate. These men were diligent. These men said, we ain't letting this stop us. They got him up on the roof. They tore a hole in the roof. Can you imagine? Jesus was there preaching. They came to hear Jesus preach. They didn't come to see this group drag him in here and distract the show. But dirt must have started coming loose from the star sky. I imagine the people who was there in the front who had the good seats was like, man, I fought the crowd to get here. What's happening? The the roof's... 
There's a hole. There's some idiot looking through. Oh, no, they're lowering the pallet. They're, they're messing up our Jesus show. They're disrupting our service. What would happen today if four hoodlums come through the door carrying somebody crippled and drug them to the front and said, we hear Jesus here, preacher. Would your people pray for him? What would you do? You'd do just what they did. The religious people, the Pharisees said, who is this man who blasphemies and thinks he can forgive sin? Who can forgive sin but God? They're totally right. Their theology is good, but their heart is terrible. They don't even see the man crippled. They don't even see the faith in his four friends who are lowering him through a wall. And friends, I'm here to tell you, church can get distracted. I've been here, and people's told me, some people that was getting a little too charismatic. Man, look, he's saying amen too much. He's hollering hallelujah. He's standing up. He's distracting us. Could you go talk to him? I ain't telling somebody to calm down in Jesus' name. It takes only Jesus to stir somebody up. It's a lot easier, Adrian Rogers said, to calm down a zealot than to raise the dead. So if he got woke up and he stirred up, I surely ain't going to tell him to shut up. Can I get an amen? But friends, you know, you think about this. I was at church one time, and y'all ever noticed I don't like to sit up for it. Now, Brother Dennis likes you to sit up there with him, and so when I preach there, I'll sit up there with him. But I'm going to be honest, I'm so uncomfortable. I never worship as good when I'm up there with Brother Dennis. You're sitting up there, and you're looking at everybody. And you just feel like everybody's looking at you. And you're in the little preacher chairs that they put up there. They used to tell me they was deacon benches. When I went to the, my first church, I wasn't there long. I told them, I said, I'm sitting by my wife, and if you notice, me and my wife sit in the front. I don't want to look at you. I want to look at Jesus. And I'll be honest, Baptists distract you from Jesus if you're not careful. So, man, I've been sitting in church before, and I'll see people looking around at everybody else. Oh, he's got his hands up. Oh, she's crying. I wonder what's wrong. They're looking at everything but him. Friends, one time I was at church, and I'm not making this up. Jesus got distracted. Here it is. Jesus is in the Word. He's preaching. And when you look at um, Luke's account, it says he was teaching and that the Pharisees had come from all over to hear him teach. So Jesus has got all the religious leaders there. He's got the people who mean something. He's preaching and teaching. And then they come do this distraction. Man, one day I was at our church and I was sitting at that little bench and they had made a rule that nobody over four could go into the nursery. And we had a little deacon. He was just a little bit, he was just tall enough where you wouldn't say he was a midget. But he was a little feller. And he was a little feller, but he was a big problem. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking out, so I've got my head down, and I'm trying to worship. And it, 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 it's, it's during the singing. And I looked, and I seen his little feet. And I said, oh, no, it's him. And all of a sudden, tap me on my head. I look up. I said, what's wrong, brother? We got a problem in the nursery. I said, we do. Well, you a deacon. Go take care of it, brother. I got to preach two more songs. Well, I need you to go talk to him. I said, what's the problem? 
We have a five-year-old in the nursery. And we made a rule at the business meeting that four years is the limit. I said, well, you go tell them to leave that five-year-old. Is it a guest? And they'll go, one Sunday ain't going to hurt. Well, who's in the nursery? My wife. I ain't making this up, am I? You ought to try to preach after that. But I was thinking about Jesus when Jesus is preaching and he's probably shucking the corn and all of a sudden they tore a hole in the roof. Just think if that happened to us today. And then they lowering a the guy down with a pallet. And Jesus, he didn't look at that as a distraction. Jesus didn't look at it as a problem. Jesus looked at it as look at the faith in them guys. And he says when Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, he didn't have any faith. When he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And he stirred up the religious bunch. Who is this blasphemer? Who is this that says he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sin, which is true. So what is, happens is who can forgive sins but God alone? But friends, there's nothing more important, no matter how much my sermon has been prepared, no matter how much I've worked on it, if a sinner comes and he needs forgiveness, that's more important. No matter what you had planned today and what you expected church to happen, if someone was to come right now and walk forward and say, I can't wait, I want to be saved, we ought to celebrate. But what do we do? We get all uncomfortable, don't we, if it don't go the way. Listen, Jesus hears them in their hearts. Now, guys, this would have probably gave me a hint that Jesus ain't your normal preacher. They're thinking this. They're not saying it. They're thinking it. And Jesus looks at them and says, why are you reasoning in your hearts this way? Why? And this is what Jesus says. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power, that's authority on earth to forgive sins. He looks at that paralytic and he said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go home, son. Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. I don't know about y'all, but I would love to be in a church service like that. And it says that he took up his pallet and he went out. And everyone was amazed and they said, we ain't never seen anything like this. Friends, that same Jesus that raised the dead, that same Jesus that healed lepers, which was equivalent to stage four cancer, when the doctor tells you we've done all we can do, that same Jesus who gave sight to people born blind, that same Jesus that made this man get up off of his pallet, paralyzed, walk home, is the same Jesus that can forgive us today. And the amazing thing is not only can he, he will. He wants to. And you know, as we look at this and you think about this text, it's an amazing thing to me that we get so sidetracked on all the other stuff. You ever been to a prayer meeting at the average church? Everything is about the paralyzed, the physical, the emotional. It's never about the spiritual. If you look at a prayer list, that prayer list is a whole page long and I think when I counted it last week, there were eight people on there for salvation. Thirteen people for cancer. Surely we, could pray, we should pray for people with cancer. 
we got a big old list, all COVID people. <laughs> and surely we should pray for that. But friends, the truth of the matter is you can be healed of COVID, you can be healed of cancer, and you can die unforgiven and be in worse shape than dying with cancer or with COVID and being saved. And friends, we need to look around today and we need to see that we got friends and we got neighbors that aren't going to just come up here like you're waiting to. They're not impressed with our music. They're not impressed with me. They're not impressed with a facility. They're not impressed with any of this because they're lost. This is just another building to them. We built that building in Wanad and it was an awesome thing. We had a, a full commercial elevator. And man, it was impressive. They decorated it. Man, they had a man that had died, left all his money with one of our deacons. Tommy Joe told Diane and two other women, he sent them to the most expensive furniture store in Meridian and said, go get everything you ladies need. I want this foyer to look good. Diane said, we'll make it pop. Man, that's like turning a dog loose on a ham bone. Diane got to turn loose with the Jesus check in the grocery, in the furniture store man that place was it was impressive it looked good but you know who always would say man we'd have a funeral and they'd show up and and we'd have dinner in there and they'd come in there and they'd say man when did y'all build this i never knew y'all had all this it was church members church folk church folk was impressed with it but on wednesday we started driving vans we started getting all these lost people come here these people who showed up with drugs and they smelt like they just smoked a camel and some of them smelt like alcohol and they looked like they needed Jesus. You ever seen them kind of people? They never once said, man, what a facility. Y'all built all this? All they said was, I come to pick up my kid. I came to get my child. See, friends, that ain't what they're looking for. What they're looking for is what only Jesus can provide. Love, to be told the truth, to deep down get what they most desperately need, forgiveness of the things they're ashamed of. And friends, today, if you think that lost sinners are just going to magically start pouring in here, you need to read your Bible. Because let me tell you how Paul described lost people in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, Paul says this, for we have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. What does a person under sin look like? How many of you remember? I was a living, breathing picture of it for 33 years, what a person under sin looks like. Now listen what Paul says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. And there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside and they have together become unprofitable. And there is none who does good, no, not one. Now how can a person that the Bible says that none of them are righteous, none of them understand, none of them are seeking after God, they've all turned aside to the point that they've become unprofitable, and that none of them do good, no, not one. How is he going to find God without our help? How is he going to know where to go? How is he going to know who to go to? See, they're paralyzed. Listen to what he says at the bottom of this. 
destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Friends, that's everybody around us who doesn't know Jesus. And friends, we are here to do what those men done. Man, I don't know about you, but I want to just right quick remind us of a couple of things that I see exemplified in the lives of these men. You see, we'll try to get somebody to Jesus. We'll ask them to go to church one time. If they say no, we quit. Or if we see an obstacle in the way, well, I can't come that day, but guys, I want you to understand something. The first thing I see in these boys was they were creative. (laughs) Creativity. You know, here they come. They get there. The door's blocked. There's no seats. The place is full. Jesus is preaching. They wouldn't let them in. No one would get out of their way. You would think that church folk, people that knew Jesus were there for a miracle, would have seen a man in need of a miracle. They'd have said, get out of the way and get that man up there in the pallet. But sometimes the people who are in the way of Jesus the most are us. So anyway, they were creative. They said, well, we can't get through the door. Let's see if we can get through the roof. <laughs> you know, I read and they said there was, there was a stairwell outside of all the houses in that day and on top they had where there was a a patio where you could go upstairs and there was like a slate roof and so they probably went up that stairwell with that man they carried him up there they got him up there and they began to tear open the roof you see these men had a philosophy if there's a will there's a way you ever heard that one if there was a closed door they found an open roof if you can't reach somebody one way try another but try to get them to where Jesus is. It's a wonderful thing to bring Jesus to them, but the next best thing is to bring them to where Jesus is, the church, the house of God. And friends, how often do we show up with somebody? You know, how compared to carrying a pallet of a crippled, how hard is it to get someone in the car with you and drive a little ways out of the way and pick them up? and say, I would be honored if you would come with me to church. And if you come with me to church, I'm going to take you to your favorite restaurant afterward and bless you and we'll go eat. Friends, I'm telling you what, a lot of people come for that. And bring them. But do we make an effort? Are we creative? Think of all kinds of ways. They were also urgent. There was an urgency in them. Man, when they got there, it would have been easy for them to say, well, the crowds are here. Let's wait till a day when it ain't so crowded. There's always tomorrow. They could have told their friend, it must not be God's timing. I mean, after all, there's nowhere to sit. There's no way to get in the door. But these men didn't do that, did they? They told their friend, hang on, we're fixing to get you on the roof. (laughs) And get prayed because we're going to lower you down. And they took their friend up on a roof. I want you to think about it. All those people were looking. Do you imagine what they must have thought? Golly, look at this. They're tearing this man's roof up. You see, not only does it take creativity, not only does it take urgency, it takes sacrifice. Somebody lost a roof. If you tore the roof out of a normal Baptist church, some preacher would get fired. If you mess up the carpet, if you have so many kids coming that they disrupt and run, and make noise, and disrupt your beautiful sanctuary. Most Baptists today are upset. When we was started Awanas at Why Not, we had a, a deacon named Ricky Roy, and he called, he, he did all the wreck. 
He called it organized chaos. That was the name of his class, organized chaos. And he built these, these, these scooters, these little race cars. He had one for each color. There's four colors in Awana. There's red, green, and each one. And, and that team would race. And there's a Awana circle that you paint on the floor. And we had painted that Awana circle on the floor. And it was all beautiful. It was all waxed. We had that brand new floor and that brand new building. And we had all so many kids there. They had four teams, and they would race a rally. And they'd be pushing them cars, boy, and they'd be screaming and hollering. And they'd make a loud. Then they'd switch, and another one get in it. And they'd run around there. Well, man, after a couple of Wednesdays, I went down there, and I said, Dang, Ricky Roy, it looks like we've been at NASCAR. There was black marks all the way around that thing. It looked like you ever been where they make a groove in the track? You've been in them dirt tracks. They'll turn them black. And I said, Ricky Roy, man, someone's going to get upset. He said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll take the blame. Sure enough, someone said, y'all have ruined that floor. What's been going on down here? Ricky Roy looked at him and he said, looks to me like someone's been having fun in Jesus' name. <laughs> What's worth having so many kids that there's a whole crowd of them that can make four teams and they're really screaming and hollering and someone had done built cars and they're racing in the name of Jesus? Or the floor got scuffed. See, there's sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice maybe some of this $4 gas to go pick up a lost sinner and bring them to church with you. You may have to sacrifice them sitting in your car. They may not smell good. They may not act like us. They may go out on Saturday night and they may have a hangover and they may smell like it. But if you could get them to church on Sunday morning, they might put an end to that, Amen. That's how we got to think. You see, we don't think like that. These men thought Jesus was so powerful that he could take a paralyzed friend who was on a pallet, who had been that way, we don't know how long, and raise him and let him walk again. But we don't even believe that God can set our people free from addictions, from sinful habits anymore. See, that's the Jesus we serve today. So not only did you see an urgency, not only did you see creativity, not only did you see sacrifice, but I'm going to tell you what we've seen that's lacking in our churches today. We've seen a team effort. A team effort. Wasn't one man, it was four. One man wasn't able to get him there. So he must have went and said, hey, look, my neighbor, he's crippled. He needs Jesus. I hear Jesus is down at that house tomorrow night. Will you come help me carry him? And he didn't take no for an answer. Hey, SL, man, my neighbor's crippled. Tomorrow night we're going to carry him down there. I don't know how far they had to carry him, but I doubt if he lived across the street. They had to carry him a ways. But they got him there. Then when they got there, there was a trouble. He said, uh-uh, we ain't going back home. We going up. I bet you that was the one who had him on the roof. And then they got him in the roof. And they let him down, friends, because of their urgency, their creativity, their sacrifice. Because of their team effort, it took four men to get this man to Jesus. That's often the case. This man got not only healed, but he got forgiven. And he went home saved. What would happen? We say, well, we don't see Jesus doing that kind of stuff in our churches anymore. Well, we don't see people dragging people to church like that anymore. What would happen if we started on our every given Sunday carrying sinners up here. Sinners who had a problem that only a supernatural Jesus could fix. And we said not only are they lost, but they got a broken marriage. Not only do they have a broken marriage, but they got dysfunctional family. 
they got kids who are strong candidates for prison. And they're all messed up and they fight and they scream and they holler and they cuss and they drunk and they get drunk and they do all kind of stuff right next to my house. Instead of looking at them and thinking bad of them, what if we was to say, you know what, next Sunday I would be honored if your family came with my family to church. We look at people totally different than Jesus looks at people. Because you see, it's people that look at people like that that Jesus says, I see your faith. And because I see your faith and you're willing to bring them to church and you're willing to go get them and you're willing to be creative and you're willing to have an urgency to get them here and you're willing to sacrifice and you're willing to work together and make a team effort, if you'll get them there, I'll show out. (laughs) And I'll show up. Because if we started bringing them here and this place was filled with sinners today who knew they needed forgiveness, you couldn't stop them from showing up in here within a month. Because they'd go home and say, hey, you need to come with us to this place. We met a man named Jesus, and he forgave us, and he healed our marriage, and he's working in on our family, and we're getting right with God, and man, our life is changing for the better, and this Jesus is real. See, that's what the church is lacking today. Jesus will do his part, but we need to do ours. Because, guys, this is what the Bible says, and I'm going to be through. The joy of forgiveness. Is there anything better? I don't know about you, but when I laid down last night, I said, Lord, if I don't wake up, it'll be all right. Last thing I said was, Jesus, I'm going to bed. Bless us in the morning. Wake me up. Fill me with your spirit. I got up this morning. Man, I'm just in the shower talking to Jesus. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but life is good when you're right with God. And friends, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. That's what David wrote. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. What does that mean? Blessed is the Lord who the man does not count his guilt against him. That man is blessed. And friends, look at this one here. David said, I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity, that's my guilt, I have not hidden. I said, Lord, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And look at what it said. You forgave the guilt of my sin. That's what that means, iniquity. And friends, has anybody here ever confessed your sin and Jesus didn't forgive you? If he forgave us, will he forgive them? The worst of the worst. There is not a bad enough sinner out there that Jesus won't forgive. But we got to get him here because he don't know that yet. And he's not going to know it until we bring him here. Today, Jesus is faithful to forgive us. If we say that we have no sin, the Bible says we lie and the truth is not in us. So we all sin, even us. Not just those people out there. So we all sin. So today, not only do we need to bring our lost neighbors here, we need to confess our sins. Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to not only forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's why, how we have a right relationship with Jesus. That's how we stay in communion and fellowship. And that's how he can use us. You see, the bottom line is this. To help our friends find forgiveness, we must first bring them to Jesus. Because there's nowhere else on earth where there's power to forgive sin. And there's nothing more powerful than a sinner who's been forgiven. That is what Jesus can do. But we got to believe that he can do it. 
I don't know about y'all, but I have to admit, I see people sometimes, and I say, Lord, and he scorns me. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> He's the only one. Today, maybe you need to be forgiven. Maybe you need to be saved. Church ain't going to do it, but I'm telling you what, I guarantee every one of us around here has got somebody in our life who has a need. It may be physical. It may be emotional. It may be relational. And those needs do need to be met, and Jesus can meet them. But the most important need is that they need to be saved and forgiven. And friends, that's what we're here for. That's why the church exists. If we were to work together as teams and bring people here, thank God for men who drive vans and go into trailer parks and bring kids here. We've seen people got saved from that. Thank God that some of those people came to baptisms and we've seen people get saved from that. You see, if you get them here and Jesus is here, things will happen. Lives will be changed. I believe that or we need to quit. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to say, Lord, put somebody on my heart. Show me my friend and I'll bring him here. I'll carry him. I'll do whatever it takes to get my lost neighbor to Jesus. Father in heaven, today I said what you put on my heart to say. And I'm first to confess that I need to be more about toting pallets and less about preaching words from a pulpit that I'm not going to be willing to live out in my life. But Lord, the church is filled with people who know you, who have experienced you, who have been blessed by you. Some of us have been delivered from terrible things, healed of sicknesses and blessed financially. All kinds of things your grace has provided. Yet we look and we don't even see those around us who are without you, who are living a life filled with guilt and shame because of the things that they wish wasn't so. Lord, the only difference between us and them is Jesus forgave us. We've sinned just like them. And they've sinned just like us. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us to have a burden. That you'll put an urgency in our life. That you'll give us wisdom to be creative. That Lord God, we'll be sacrificial even. To the point that we'll all work together to bring lost people to Jesus. People who are messed up, hurting who have issues that only you can fix. And Lord, I know you'll show up, you'll show out, you'll do just like in that thing, and we'll leave church one day saying, we ain't never seen anything like that. Because Lord, the same God who we just looked at in that story, you're the same God who I'm praying to right now. So Lord, move on your church. Strengthen our faith. Burden our hearts for our fellow men. And help us to be like those four men who brought their friend to Jesus. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.